This is your itinerary for travel and photography with your host, Rob Knight. Hi, this is Doug Kay from the All About the Gear podcast here on the TWIP Network. I just want to let you know that I still have a few openings for my workshop in Cuba in early November. For more information, head on over to DougK.com workshops. Thanks. Welcome to your itinerary. My name is Rob Knight, and this is episode number 32. Our show today features an interview with Lee Starnes, and Lee is a professional photographer based in Southeast Asia, and he's the deputy editor of the online magazine Saigonier.com. And Lee is an old buddy of mine from here in the Atlanta area, and he basically went traveling and never came home. And I think his story is really fascinating, and uh, and you'll find it interesting. So I uh, just got back from Denver over the weekend. I was giving a couple of presentations for Lumix for uh, Mike's camera. They had a big event there big uh, travel and adventure show and uh, had a lot of fun, met some cool people, including National Geographic photographer Jay Dickman. And Jay and I have had conversations online over the years. Uh, He shoots the Micro Four Thirds cameras like I do. Um, He uses the the other brand of Micro Four Thirds cameras, but um, it was really nice to be able to talk with him and connect with him in person. And uh, we even got to go shoot together on Saturday night. And every time I go to Denver, I'm a little more impressed with it. You've got, you know, within 20 minutes of your hotel downtown, you've got really great restaurants and and beautiful street photography downtown. And then another direction, uh, Jay and I were shooting in a park called Rocky Mountain Arsenal. And they have a herd of bison there, which we didn't see. But we just spent a couple of hours walking around uh, a beautiful lake. And uh, there's lots of birds there and there's other wildlife. And this is all just within you know, 15 or 20 minutes of downtown. And, you know, it's not even not even to mention the Rocky Mountains and everything that's just right around the corner. So I'm really looking forward to spending some more time in Denver in August when I take a workshop group there. But uh, without further ado, here's Lee Starnes. Welcome, Lee, and thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a long time. It's good to hear from you. No doubt. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of tough because you're in Southeast Asia and I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. So we're, what, 11, 12 hours apart? Something like that. Yeah, it's uh, nearly nine p.m. here. Gotcha. So yeah, eleven hours on the nose. It's uh, can be challenging scheduling that kind of stuff. Only slightly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to share a quick story uh, about Lee before we get started with the interview. So my buddy Mike and I went to a local meetup group here in Atlanta a couple of years ago. It's I think we decided it was four or five years ago, and um, and it was actually at a friend of mine's studio, and I'm not going to name any names except Lee's, but um, this this portraiture group. And so I thought, well, we'll go and check it out. It's at my friend's studio. And uh, so we walked in, and there's a bunch of people who obviously know each other because they're already talking to each other. And not one person said, oh, hey, you guys are new, and introduced themselves. The only person that spoke to us was Lee. And I always thought that was really cool because, and even after Lee talked to us, sometimes there's, you know, once there's an icebreaker, then other people will come up and say, oh, well, you know, hey, you know, who are you? Nope, nothing. And uh, needless to say, that was the last time I went to that meetup group (laughs) because I thought, well, what's the point of a meetup group if you're not actually going to like meet up with people, if you're just going to stand next to each other and make pictures, that seemed kind of weird, but, uh, but I always appreciated that. So, so Lee's a nice guy. And I didn't know that. that. I mean, that's great. <laughs> that's pretty um, funny. I think everyone should have a voice, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you might as well be nice to people. That's <laughs> why not? Right. There you go. Okay. That's so, it. well, man, um, you have come a long way from Atlanta and I want to talk about uh, what you're doing to make a living these days. So what, tell me about your job. Oh God. Uh, you know, I kind of have my fingers on a bit of a 
a uh, couple different pies. Day to day, I work for a website called Saigoneer.com. The deputy editor, I kind of oversee all the visuals that go th- go on through the mag- or through the uh, the website. And in addition to that, we do a lot of editorial work, which is, as a travel photographer, editorial photography is always something that you dream of. Uh, sure. That you you dream of capturing that moment, that capture that story, to be able to give a voice to people who don't have a voice. Uh, I guess to bear witness, to give testimony. Um, and you know, I got my start in a Thai newspaper seven, eight years ago. So things have come full circle. You know, I did a lot of commercial photography and portraiture and music photography in Atlanta. And now I get to go back to my roots, which is really, really fulfilling. You know, I still do commercial work here and there, but I love doing editorial work, uh, to break bread with people, to, to share stories is always really, really important. Right. And so, um, so tell me about Saigonier.com. What, what is that? Um, what does that involve? It's basically an online magazine. Yeah, we're about two years old. You know, uh, we started because there wasn't really a source here in Saigon to find out what's going on in the city, uh, to find out, you know, where to eat, where to, what to do, uh, current events, news, you know, general ideas of the pulse of the city. There wasn't one place to go to it. So we decided we'd start it. And, you know, it's been growing and growing and growing. And now it's a massive endeavor. So it's been really, really fun growing. Uh, a lot of growing pains, but it's always fun to see something that you put your blood, sweat, and tears into succeed. So Right. And that, like fun. you said, that's got to be really exciting to be able to basically well, this is what I want to do with my life. And then to just make that happen for yourself, man, that's super cool. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, we had, we were chatting earlier about, you know, the hardest part is making the decision yeah, uh, to remove the plan B to say, well, this is what I want to do. And all of your energy goes into that plan A rather than putting a little bit of energy towards plan A and a little bit of energy towards your backup. Um, and what all that happens is you spread yourself thin and you fall flat on your ass. Sure. So. Yeah, it's it's funny. I was on uh, This Weekend Photo recently, and uh, Brian Caparici was talking about um, basically getting out of your own way and putting yourself in, a, in the position that you want to be in and, and how, you know, we are the thing that hinders us the most. You know, your, your doubts and your, you know, self-consciousness and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, I mean, you've got to get past all that to to go from Atlanta to Vietnam, right? I mean, how, how did that uh, come about? Like, how did you end up in uh, Southeast Asia? Well, sure. You know, I guess how I got here, I guess, is not so much the story is that it's how, you know, I talk about the hardest part is making the decision, but equally important is choosing to surround yourself with the right people. Uh, you know, I couldn't have done anything uh, or we couldn't have done anything without the encouragement, uh, the brutal honesty of the people that are around us and helping us to make the right decisions to move forward in our careers in a way that's positive and, and, and useful and meaningful. Um, you know, I guess the older I get, the less I try to rely on myself rather than relying on my team that's around me. Um, because I've made so many piss poor decisions about, you know, business and here and there that, I finally understand what I know and what I don't know and cap, try to capitalize on what I do know and then be able to take a step back and let people uh, shine in the categories that they absolutely know 
better than I could ever. So, um, but you know, as far as ending up in Vietnam, uh, I lived in Thailand, I guess seven or eight years ago, uh, working for a newspaper freelance and then doing some architecture and interior photography, moved back to Atlanta and ended up getting back to like my punk rock roots and doing music photography and did that predominantly for, I guess the last three or four years and then reconnected with my current wife and ended up moving to Australia. And two years ago, we ended up moving to Saigon. Uh, and so it's been a whirlwind in the last few years, but it's never been boring and it's always interesting. It's kept me on my toes for sure. Uh, so I'm a happy man. Yeah. No time to rest on your laurels when you're moving halfway across the world every couple of years, right? Sure. <laughs> that's cool. I, and I think that's a great, that's great advice about surrounding yourself with people who are going to help you succeed. Um, and, you know, you mentioned something about getting older. And I think that's, you know, if we pay attention as we go along, we, we learn to look for the type of people that we should hang out with and the type of people that we shouldn't hang out with that, that help put us in different positions. Um, I know for me, it's, it's been so great working with my buddy, Rick Garrity, teaching workshops because, you know, for years I've been looking for, for a partner to help me, whatever it is, plan the workshops and promote the workshops and everything else. And to have the one dude who, you know, you have a similar vision and complimentary teaching style and that kind of stuff, just to find that guy is like, oh man, it's, it's just such a relief. So I'm sure when you're putting together something like Saigoneer.com to have somebody who, who you can, you know, who can help you steer the ship is, is gotta be nice. God, we have such an amazing team and I, I'm such a lucky part to be a part of it. You know, I wasn't part of the founding group, but I came on and we've managed to do something that not a lot of people have even thought of doing here, uh, which is an amazing thing. We're in a unique position that it gives us a little bit of leverage to cover the things we want to do. Uh, we don't have a, a lot of people saying no. Um, and we have an amazingly talented team made up of a plethora of multicultural people. So there's always new, fresh ideas hitting the table that, you know, an angle that maybe I could never even heard of or thought of, uh, but I'm happy to be a part of it. And, you know, half the stuff I capture, you know, it's honestly, it's being in the right place at the right time. And I guess that's anything in life. I mean, but it's about surrounding yourself with the right people that know what you want to accomplish and can help you accomplish that. So I'm really lucky and happy to have the right people around me. Yeah, that's great. So you're doing uh, writing for Saigonair.com too, or just shooting? Uh, I do some writing too. Uh, mm. I never thought I was a decent writer until I had a deadline and had to get something done. <laughs> and, you know, as a photographer, my writing was writing captions. Sure. You know, you get your who, what, where, and why, um, you know, your W's, and you get it out there. And you make sure that all your metadata is right, and you put it out in the world. So when I got to Vietnam, my first photo gig was to do a photo essay. Mm -hmm. And it was on the encroaching urbanism and the modernization at the cost of historical vestiges. Okay. I guess. Uh, long story short. A lot of new stuff and a lot of old stuff getting torn down and the homogenization of society. Right. So 
I sat there and looked at all these images, and immediately what came to my head was, oh shit, I got to write about this. I thought my, I thought the images that was going to be it. Um, so it was a rude awakening. So to be able to craft those words uh, and to to explain your images was definitely a learning curve. And thankfully, my wife is an amazing writer and she helps out. Else, I would have just had a bunch of uh, what, who, uh, blah, blah, and then say, just look at the pretty pictures. Right. Uh, but uh, thankfully, she's helped me along the way in order to, I guess, rein in my rambling into something useful. <laughs> sure. Does she actually go so far as to sort of edit your work, or she just you just bounce ideas off of her? No, I'll write something and I'll give it to her. And sometimes I hear just a laughter from the other room and it's like, well, I missed I either missed it or I nailed it. Yeah. Um, so, and sometimes she doesn't even tell me, she just says, why don't you go rewrite it and see where you, you get to after you write it the second time. And if it's the same <laughs> as the first time, then maybe you have something. If not, then maybe you didn't. Yeah. Um, so she's very encouraging, but yet, uh, you know, Nice and brutally honest at the same time. Sure, sure. Well, has writing informed your photography in any way, or is it mostly the other way around? Like, do you uh, shoot? Do you shoot differently when you know you're going to have to write a story around it? I guess so. Uh, you start shooting other angles, and you shoot, I guess, a more comprehensive story. It's not about one frame anymore. Right. It's about a body of work. Uh, so that's really, really interesting to me because. The detail shots and the nuances, you can have your hero images, but if you don't have the context around it, then that hero image, as a good of an image it might be, it doesn't tell the whole story. Sure. And I think the cohesive story is absolutely intrinsic to a narrative. So, sure. yeah. As a storyteller, you know. Right. I know there's been, I, I've, written articles before and i thought man i wish i had a picture to illustrate this so yeah i can i can totally see that how um that would encourage you to to work your subjects a lot more um and you know on a side note too i was in i was on a photo stroll uh a sunrise tour with another friend of mine who i run our workshop i'm running a workshop with in, in and in i guess in a month or so and so we sat out in the middle of this fishing village, in the middle of rural Vietnam, and there's a guy who was born in 1935 that makes these traditional Vietnamese boats that are round boats. They're made out of bamboo and tar, and he makes them by hand. And looking at him, you know, he's got a story that's never, ever going to be told through a photograph. You're not going to know that he had to hide books from the French during the French occupation. You're not going to know that he got shot by American troops. You're not going to know that he hasn't been to the town down the road in 40 years and that he can still smile and capture the kindness in your eyes. I mean, you're never going to know that unless you ask the question. Yeah. Um, and that's really, really important to me because as beautiful as a portrait can be, and maybe it can transcend words, maybe it can't. The story behind it is just as important as the visual to me at this point in my life. Very cool. That's great advice. And and to have uh, you know such a great outlet in your work is great. But even even just your sort of average Joe photographer who's traveling, uh, I think can take something from that. And that's I mean, if you need a, more of a reason to start a blog, I can't think of it. God, uh, engage your subject. Right. I mean, there's so many people that I've taken pictures of and that have 
come up to me and say, hey, can you take my picture? I haven't had my picture taken in years. Hmm. That's an amazing thing to be able to do that, to print something and give back to your subject. I, th- I, f- I find that so many people, especially when I travel, you see a lot of the people with long lenses right. that are afraid to get up and interact with their subject. And you might get a technically sound picture, but there's no soul to it. There's no heart to it. You right. know, my longest lens that I shoot with is 85 millimeter. And usually it's, it's not even that. Usually it's 50, 50 or 24, 35. I, just, I carry a few different light prime lenses. I try to travel light uh, because carrying around a bunch of equipment, you're going to miss those beautiful little moments. You're not going to be get, be able to get intimate with your subject. Right. And that's so important when you travel and do editorial photography. That absolutely is. And, and I know a lot of students ask about doing more um, environmental portraits and more street portraits and things like that. And they, their first questions are about lenses and, and processing and things like that. But the, really the first answer is if you talk to someone and get to know them a little bit, you're, number one, you're going to make better pictures of that person because you're going to have more of an understanding of what a picture of that person even looks like. And then, you know, if you start out saying, hey, how's it going? You know, tell me about yourself. Then that's way different than, hey, can I make your picture? You know? Yeah, yeah sure. And so to, to get around, by the time you get around to, can I, do you mind if I make your picture? If, you know, if you've been talking to him for 10 minutes, well, you're not a stranger anymore. And they're a lot more likely to, to say, sure, you know, no problem. Absolutely. Especially in, if you're in a native English speaking country. Right. There's no excuse for it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I find it, you know, even in my limited Vietnamese, even, you know, when I've been, you know, I've been to Indonesia or in Taiwan, I've been able to capture portraits because you don't really need to say too much. But if you at least try to communicate in some way to be able to acknowledge them as human beings, mm-hmm. to recognize that they're here on this earth the same as you are, breathing the same air, and even a smile can transcend than just coming up and snapping a picture. Absolutely. It's, it's about, you know, interacting rather than observing rather. Yeah. So that's, that, that's a pretty important thing. That's, that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell me about your, your small kit that you carry. You know, a lot of photographers are using smaller gear, whether it's, you know, a mirrorless camera or just fewer lenses. So uh, you mentioned carrying a few small primes. So when, when somebody is going on their first trip to Vietnam, they're going to have a tendency to carry the kitchen sink with them to make great photos. But, um, what do you think about that? What's your, what's your uh, take on all that? You know, it's funny. My, one of my business partners, uh, he sold his SLR rig and only shoots mirrorless now. Yeah. And he, he lives and dies by it. Um, and I, I might be in the camp soon. Uh, but, you know, honestly, you know, when I, when I first started really getting serious about my photography, you know, you get the big lenses, you get your battery pack or your battery grip, and you feel like you're bigger the, the camera, the, most, the more pro you are. Right. Uh, but honestly, if you can't access your gear and you can't get up close to your subject and interact with it, it doesn't matter what you have. Uh, because your pictures are going to be sterile, you're going to miss the moment, you're going to be a half a second behind, and you're never going to be happy with really capturing something very, very special. Uh, so yeah, I carry a few prime lenses and that's it. I carry a shoulder bag that's really, really small. I, I carry a travel tripod that's really, really small that I can carry onto a plane mm-hmm. if the airline's not being complete jerks about it. I mean, that happens from time to time. Sure. Uh, 
But, you know, when people say the best camera is the one you have, yeah, that's true. But make sure that you have something that can capture what you're, what's in your head. Right. But you don't need to overcomplicate things, you know. It's about keeping it simple. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And, you know, it's hard for beginning photographers especially because, you know, when you first start out, you don't really have a sense of the of what story you're going to want to tell, how you're going to capture what you see. So, you know, the the further along you go, I think the easier it is to leave this at home and leave that at home and pare it down to, you know, three or four focal lengths that you're familiar with and you're comfortable with. But sure, you know, sure. it, can, it can be tough um, right out of the gate. Oh, sure. God, I remember having, I remember doing it on necessity and it, there was many a times I was just frustrated because I just couldn't do it. Yeah. And it is frustrating, but when I decided I wasn't going to use zoom lenses, that the only zoom I needed was my feet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what did Robert Kappa say? If your photos aren't good enough, get closer. Right. Uh, you know, I really took that to heart. Sure. Uh, without being obnoxious, but just being able to interact was something that, made my photography much more personal to me. And I wasn't just hitting a shutter. It was capturing a moment in my life just as much as it's happening in their life. Right. That's great. Well, what are some of the other things that you look for when you're out shooting? Uh, before we went on, we were talking about, about chasing light and that kind of thing. What's, um, when you oh, go God. out to, to make pictures, what's the kind of thing that, that catches your eye and, and, kind of lets you know that this is the shot that you're going to take. You know, I go back to the right place at the right time and it is about the right time. You know, when the light's nice in the morning and the light's night the af- nice in the afternoon, take, take advantage of your golden hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, when I travel, when I do travel or editorial pieces, I don't shoot when it's really, really difficult because one, most of the time, especially in Southeast Asia, nothing's happening in the hot part of the day anyways. People are sleeping or inside. Yeah. All the action happens in the morning and the afternoon. So you look for beautiful light. You look for pools of light. You look for dust in the air. I mean, you look for these little moments that happen in beautiful pools of light. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of photographers forget photography means like light and like mapping light, you know, capturing light. Um, It's not about it's a it's a light box. Uh, at its very, very essence. Uh, so I think when you boil it down to something like that and start thinking the world and how light interacts, yep. you, you think about light interacts and then your subjects interact with that. It's easier to think in one way rather than complicating things, you know? Right. So start with the light and, and, and wait for something amazing to happen within it basically. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just put yourself in the right place and be patient. Sure. Be patient. I think a lot of people, especially with the immediacy in which days that we live in, you know, we shoot digitally, we shoot on iPhones and everything is immediate. We can take a picture, edit it and put it up on the web and share it with the world all within like a few seconds. And that waiting for something to happen, you know, I sat in Angkor Wat and I waited for this scene to unfold for an hour and a half. And it took that long for people to get out of my frame and that one little beautiful thing to happen where a monk looked over at me and then the light caught his eye right. Yeah. It's an amazingly beautiful moment and I waited on it. And I sweated through about three different t-shirts. Uh, but it was a beautiful, beautiful moment and I would do it over and over again. But 
that's only going to happen if you're patient and you know what to look for. Right, right. And that's such a challenge when you're, you know, someone who's out on vacation and, no, sure. you know, you don't have all day to sit and wait for the perfect shot. But if you, if you train yourself to notice beautiful light and take advantage of it, then you can, you can at least take advantage of that when it comes around. Yeah, it's funny, you know, my family, when we go on vacation, when it'll be like an overcast day, I get excited because I want to go take portraits yeah. because of that beautiful light that just wraps around people's faces. Sure. And I can shoot in the middle of the day then. I don't have to worry about getting harsh shadows or or having to worry about bringing my dan- dynamic range back into somewhere where it's manageable. Uh, you can just kind of turn the brain off of that and just capture moments. Right. And, and on the other side of that coin, a, a lot of landscape photographers will you know, ask for like, what can I do to make this picture better? And unfortunately, sometimes the answer is come back at a different time. Yeah, sure. Like, you know, if you're shooting, uh, nobody shoots the perfect, amazing landscape shot when the light's terrible. You know, it's, I mean, you can, you know, fart around with it in Photoshop all day, but if you just shoot it when the light's good, then you're done. You don't, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, totally. Uh, I have, I have friends that, and they're, they're full, they're full-time uh, travel photographers and they don't, they don't shoot outside the golden hours yeah. just because it's, well, the, you have to take all your gear out and you invest your time and your money and your effort. And then you can't capture what you, you, you're assigned to do anyway. So right. just kind of not time sometimes. So. Sure. Sure. Well, that's when you have to, you need to get that uh, infrared camera that, that we were talking about before we went on the air yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're sure. great in the middle of the day. So absolutely. Cool, man. Well, Lee, that was, that's been really great, man. I'm going to wrap up the episode with my usual uh, series of questions for you. So what, uh, what is your current photo gear setup and how has that changed in the last year? Uh, I shoot with a few different things. Um, I have a Canon 5D Mark II uh, right now. That's my field kit. I have a couple backup bodies. Um, I shoot with a 24 millimeter, a 35 millimeter, 50 and 85 depending. That's it. Yeah. Um, Actually, that's not true. I've been shooting film lately. I'm shooting on a Hasselblad medium format nice. from time to time, um, which is absolutely, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I wish I could shoot film more often. It's just really hard to, to get things processed here. The oh, weather and the humidity is a, a nightmare on film processing. Um, but yeah, I try to keep it very, very simple. Uh, you know, I carry a little tiny little shoulder bag. Yeah. Very cool. And um, when you travel, obviously you've been around, you know, been around the world a couple of times. What, what do you do when you're on the road to, uh, to make your hotel room or whatever feel like a home away from home? Wow. Uh, I try to go find the nearest coffee shop mm-hmm. and sit down with the old man, break bread with him. And then I feel like I'm at home because there's always an old man on the street without a shirt on drinking coffee in Vietnam. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, you know, you go and sit down and, you watch the world go by um, and you learn to appreciate the little moments, yeah. uh, the quiet moments, because sometimes in Southeast Asia, there's not very many of those. It's quite hectic sometimes. Sure. But when you, when you get them, God, it's a beautiful thing. That, that is a great tip. If you, if you want to get to know a place uh, the way the locals do, then like you said, go grab a cup of coffee and just sit down and, and look around for a little while. That's great oh, advice. Eat. Yeah. Eat, eat, eat. Go sit down, get lost, get eat. Get lost on purpose. Go eat. Yeah. Uh, find the busiest little food stall in the world. Sit down and just watch the world unfold, and you'll have an idea what to shoot immediately thereafter. Great, great advice. 
from a photography standpoint, what's your favorite place you visited lately, whether it's in Vietnam or, or somewhere else you've been? I shot at a fishing village recently. That was a really amazing thing. Early in the morning, it is, you know, I haven't, I haven't experienced that type of energy in a long time. Uh, I got back from the shoots, from the shoot, and I had had, you know, seven portraits that I felt were some of the best portraits I've taken in the last six years. And they nice. all happened within 45 minutes of each other. Yeah. Um, I was recently in the Philippines, and the Philippines. What an underrated, amazingly beautiful place that is with amazingly beautiful people that are so forthcoming and happy to tell you how to enjoy their country and, you know, smiles for days. Um, yeah. So nice. those are the two places that come to mind offhand. Very cool. Well, what's next for you? What's, uh, what are you looking forward to shooting uh, and visiting next? I'm supposed to be going to Malaysia in a few weeks. I'm looking forward to that. I haven't been to Kuala Lumpur before, so it'll be nice to shoot a big uh, Asian city. Mm -hmm. And I'm teaching, I'm helping teaching a workshop uh, in Hoi An, which is a small little village uh, in central Vietnam that I'm really looking forward to. We'll do three days. So we'll get lost in rice fields, peanut fields, and just getting general lost in the Vietnamese countryside, which can never go wrong well things can go wrong but it's always interesting <laughs> at the end of the day yeah yeah i don't know if you can say things can never go wrong when you're in vietnam i mean just based on the history there i don't know oh uh, yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> uh well lee thanks a lot for being on the show man it was really great and where can people find out about you and your photography and and your workshops and everything else well, you can check out www.saigoneer.com to check out my day-to-day. -day, uh, or you can check out my website at www.leestarnsphoto.com. And soon we'll, we'll soon be launching a new website, with, which should be a full-scale production house, called www.10canimages.com. So check those out and, uh, yeah, see what we're up to. It's uh, always fun times. We'd always like to talk to you anytime you want to have advice or just... Talking about photography, please do get in touch. Very cool. Thanks a lot, Lee, man. It was nice catching up with you. Absolutely. Cheers. And, Thanks for having me on. Yeah, dude. And we won't wait uh, four years next time. Yeah, I know. It's been far too long, my friend. Yeah. All right. Talk to you later. Cheers. And if you like what you hear on your itinerary, please tell all your friends about it and stop by iTunes and leave us some positive feedback. And be sure to connect with us on Twitter at your itinerary. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Your Itinerary with Rob Knight. Head over to thisweekinphoto.com to check out the other TWIP shows and get on our mailing list. Become a TWIP member to get exclusive benefits and member pricing on TWIP products and workshops. Start planning your next adventure, and we'll see you next week on Your Itinerary for travel and photography. Photography.